This morning we're going to wind down our summer series. We are nearing the end of summer. Do you know that? Do you have your pencils and notebooks yet for your kids? New book bags, new cool shoes. Summer's winding down. We're ramping up for the fall and I'm excited about the breaks in the temperature that come with that. But we've been in a a sermon series for the past, this is week number nine of Once Upon a Time, where we've been trying to go back to the source code, right? Go back to the Old Testament and review some of the stories that have helped build our faith. And if you grew up in the church, you've heard these stories. And uh, some of the loudest voices over these past nine weeks of encouragement to keep the series going have come from those like me who grew up in the church. And these stories are coming alive again, and I'm thankful for that. Some of us haven't grown up in the church and you're hearing uh, bits and pieces of God's word from the Old Testament here in a, in a way that helps it to come alive for you and give you uh, action in your faith in reminding how God has acted, how God has interfered with humanity in his way. This morning I want to talk about another childhood story, another song. I made a fool of myself a couple weeks ago singing about Father Abraham and I did some motions, but do you guys remember the Joshua fighting the battle of? Isn't it interesting that we sing a song that says, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. When we look at scripture this morning, I'm going to prove those lyrics wrong. There's some powerful stories, some powerful truths in the narrative of Joshua and the walls of the city of Jericho that I want us to study together this morning. And so turn with me to Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6 in your Bible, or if you have your app, if you're using your phone to follow along with the scripture this morning, Joshua chapter 5. And as you turn there, let me bring you up to speed on where we are in Israel's history. Up until this point, uh, Moses has been the leader of Israel, and he uh, helped them to escape the bondage of Egypt thanks to God's miraculous work. God calling the children of Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt through Moses. They have escaped, and now they've been wandering for years and years and years in search of God's promised land. The land that he promised to Abraham. The land that he promised to this chosen people that God would provide his location eventually to his chosen people. Joshua is the next leader in the lineage of leadership of the people of Israel. Moses is now dead and God appointed Joshua to be that next leader of Israel. This land that Joshua is bringing them to. We call it, in in church terms and in scripture, we call it the land of Canaan. Everybody say Canaan. Good job. God is bringing this chosen people into this land that scripture says is flowing with yeah, milk and honey. It's the dreamland. It's the location of all locations. It's surely the location that God wants them to have. But it's not all ease. They didn't just waltz into the land flowing with milk and honey. There was some overtaking of other people groups, other cities along the way that God commanded the children of Israel to do. Along the way, there are many different fascinating things that are happening in the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 3, God parts waters again. This time, the river Jordan. 
And the children of Israel walk across on parted waters. Dry ground is provided for them to cross this river. In Joshua chapter 4, Joshua instructs them as the chosen spiritual leader of these people. The military and spiritual leader. He commands them to build an altar to God. uh, Chosen from stones uh, uh, found in the Jordan River to remember what God has done in Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua chapter 5, the Israelites are finally able to taste the first fruits of this chosen promised land. And they experience the bliss that comes from God's providence. And they remember God's providence by celebrating again the Passover. But they're not yet fully occupying this land that was promised to them. There are still some things to come in the uh, history of Israel that need to take place. In fact, in Joshua chapter 5, there's an imposing city, a group of people that are not so happy that Israel is who Israel is. And these are the people in the city of Jericho. This city itself, it's interesting as we read Scripture, this city, this group of people itself are imposing upon Israel, and they are potentially a stumbling block for this chosen people. So we'll jump into the fascinating narrative here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. I I want you to see the picture. I want you to understand what's going on in this scenario as we look at Scripture. We're going to break up the Scripture reading this morning. We're not going to read the story straight through. Because I think it breaks down in a fascinating way. So stick with me. Joshua chapter 5, starting with verse 13. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. First things first in this narrative this morning, I think it's absolutely fascinating to see this portrayed as we hear the words of Scripture and as we uh, try to put some visual explanation to what's taking place here. But I, I think there's some things worth in, uh, noting in the, the narrative this morning that as Joshua approaches this sword-carrying man who looked different, Scripture is uh, kind of unclear to us exactly what he was uh, seeing in this moment, but something in the form of a man standing guard and Joshua in his best military voice demands of this man are you with us or are you with them the people of Jericho are you on my side or are you on their side I need to know Joshua says can we admit together this morning how normal This attitude is within us as humanity. Are are you competitive? I've told you some of my stumbling blocks about the competitive nature that I blame my dad for. I've told you before that when our family plays Monopoly, we don't play a friendly game of Monopoly. Our Monopoly games turn into which one of the parents can win over which one of the kids to overthrow the government. 
it gets pretty political. It gets pretty ugly in our house. And I usually win. <laughs> Do you see the human instinct uh, around us of how we are usually in competition with those around us, that we're trying to do a little bit better than our neighbor. We're trying to have a little bit better of marriage than our, our parents. We're trying, we have this human innate desire, this sense among us to try to be a little bit better than someone else in our, our job, in our livelihood, in our family, in the, our marriage, in the structure of almost everything around us. We try to be a little bit better than someone else. Maybe Joshua in his humanity, is experiencing that young leadership reality of following in the footsteps of bearded Moses. And can you hear him in this moment, the leader of God's chosen people, approach this man with a sword and demanding from him with his own sword at the ready, are you with us or are you with those stinking Jericho people? I think there's human instinct that comes through in Joshua's interaction here. He's so focused on the human response to taking over by force the promised land. He's ready for battle. I think he's focused on his plan, his ideas, his goal, his own knowledge of what it's going to take to lead these people. He is ready to overthrow whatever it takes the city of Jericho. So he does what's normal with that kind of a starting point, with that kind of a reality. Joshua is doing what he, what he knows to do. He's asking, whose side is this guy on? And what I love about this is that God uses this interaction to remind Joshua and to remind you and me if we're listening this morning that we're not in charge. Can I say it again this morning? You're not in charge. God's not your co-pilot. God's not second. He doesn't want to be. He's the one in control. This angel that's standing here at Jericho's gate identifies himself in this moment as the angel of, the commanding angel of God's army. I, I just, I, I kind of geek out over that. I don't know. Joshua's standing there all ready to, to, to battle this guy if he needs to. And the angel says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. And it instantly humbles Joshua. Joshua is shocked at the announcement. And <laughs> you see his reaction. He's still battle ready. He's like, oh, oh, then, then you are for it. What do you need of me? I'm, I'm ready. He's got his sword ready to pull. He's like, what? Can you see him in this moment? Asking for what, what's next? What's the plan? What do you need from me? I'm, I'm at your service. I'll do whatever he falls down. He humbles himself. He knows, all right, this is our guy. This is the guy that's going to help us. This is how it's all going to play out. What do we need to do? I'm ready to jump the wall. Joshua's ready to do whatever it takes. He's got plans, and now he thinks, surely God's going to use his plan. And the angel warrior's response is even more humiliating, maybe. Joshua, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Humble yourself and worship 
the Lord your God. So on the onset of these first verses of our narrative this morning, the first thing I want us to take note of and remind ourselves again this week is that God is God and we are not. He is in charge. That needs to be written upon our hearts every single day of the week. It's not enough that we talk about it on a Sunday morning. It's not enough that we get the reminders on a Sunday in a message like this. It has to be the starting point for everything we choose to do in this life to understand that God is in control. God is our commander. God is the source. God is our creator. God is the object of our worship and our adoration, our time, our energy, our resources, our lives must be centered around the creator of the universe. He is in control. That means a whole slew of things. That means we shouldn't be doing some things in life. Amen? Oh, me? It means we should be doing some things. We should, as followers of the one true God, we should be the ones who hear his voice and take action when he calls. I don't think we can say it too many times or be reminded, uh, be reminded of it enough. Joshua gets the lesson in the form of realizing that God doesn't choose sides, right? Do you need to hear that? God doesn't choose sides. We joke about it. We talk about it in political circles. We talk about it in team sports. Oh, I hope God lets the Altoona curve win after a three-hour rain delay. <laughs> God doesn't choose sides. God is God. I think we're guilty more often than maybe we would ever admit of putting God on our team. Uh, of thinking that, just like on the school ground, we, we get to choose God for our side. And when we do that, when we have that mixed up uh, understanding of who God is and who we are in relationship to him, we have gotten it all wrong. And when we start at that point, everything else continues to fall out of control. But when we nail the reality, when we start at the point of understanding that God is who he is, he gave you and me life and breath and opportunity. When we turn our attention that direction, not what can God do for me, but what can I do for God? Things fall into place in the right way. When God is at the center, not a sub-point, not an occasional highlight. When God is at the center of our life, then we know we are in the center of his will. So Joshua does as he's told. He takes off his sandals. And the narrative continues in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to this. Now, the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. I like that. They're a little bit nervous in Jericho about this chosen people of God. No one in Jericho was allowed to go out or in, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. 
Verse 4, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear those priests giving one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. If I'm honest, as Joshua is giving, given this message from the Lord, if I'm Joshua and I'm all set, ready for battle, ready for whatever the Lord says, I've got my hand on my sword. I'm ready to charge. I'm ready to jump that wall. I'm ready to build a ladder. I'm ready to do whatever it takes to do what God says. And God gives this instruction of, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the city. Here's what I'm doing as Joshua. What? Excuse me? Are you, are you serious? Do you see the similarities in the story between Noah and Joshua here? Noah's instructions to build an ark. No one's ever built an ark before. Jo- uh, Joshua's instructions before. No one's ever besieged a city by walking around it whistling. <laughs> Imagine the faith of this young leader. Uh, Imagine these instructions from the Lord. Uh, Joshua is standing before this city with fortified walls. There's at least three walls in the architecture of this city of Jericho. The walls between where Joshua is standing at the beginning of the city gates and where the tallest wall is, three walls in. There's 46 feet difference. The walls are thick. There's acreage of this city mass that God has promised the children of Israel that they would take. And yet there's nothing battle-like in these plans from the Lord. There's no besieging maneuver with these unique and yet detailed directions from God. Instead, God says, Jericho is yours. It's king, it's people, everything. According to the plan of walking around it for the next seven days. Reminder for me, God's plan is always better. If I'm Joshua in the story, I've got some plans. I've had some conversations in my tent with my my best men. I, I know Jericho. The spies have come back and told me exactly what it's going to take to overthrow. I I have some ideas. I know where I'm going to plant the TNT. (laughs) I know the the, the angle of attack. I have some great ideas on how it's going to happen. That's this, this interaction there with God's commanding angel. Surely God would want to use my plan, right, as Joshua? Oh, Joshua... Stephen, can you make it personal like I can? Do you come up with good plans? Do you have good plans for your family? Do you love your family? Would you do anything for them? You put some things on paper or in Google Notes, that's where I do it. Some ideas on what you think needs to happen, what, what best direction to go with life as a family? 
Whatever your great plan is to overthrow Jericho in your life, can I say it again? God's plan is better. Do you realize that you can't see the future? Someone's like, what? Do you know that God is not restricted by 24 hours a day like we are? Anybody tired? Anybody had a nuts-o week? All the more reason to rely upon God and His plan. The stuff I try to plan, if you only knew what an idiot I am, <laughs> you would have never voted the way you did a year and a half ago. <laughs> Can I be human with you? I, I've got some ideas, I've got some plans, but I am always blown away at how much better our God works things out according to His purposes. You know what that does to me? You know what that reminds me in this story of Joshua and Jericho? It reminds me that when I find myself planning out everything, I've got the problem. And it goes back to point number one. My human nature puts me in the place of God. My human nature puts me in the driver's seat. My bent towards sinning, towards being a selfish fool puts God not even in the co-pilot seat, back in the trunk for every once in a while when I need him. Can you relate to that? God is God. I am not. His plan is supremely better than anything I can come But Pastor Steven, you'd say, Pastor Steven, I already have a plan. I know what needs to happen. I know exactly what needs to happen in my life. I know exactly what's going to happen after high school, after college. I know exactly what my kids need to do when they get older. I'm working on all that stuff. My plan is in place. Things are working according to my plan. Can I say it again? God's plan is better. It's not to say that your plan is not going to have any relation to the way God allows his will to come through in your life, your kid's life, your family. But can I remind you, God's plan for you, for your family, for your future, for your today, is better than the plan you've put into place for yourself. God is God. You're not. Oh, but Pastor Stephen, God's plan, I, I, I just don't think I've downloaded it yet. I, I don't know what God's plan is, so I've got to take control. God's plan must be stuck in the cloud or at the Hyde Post Office. I know. Again, we're human. We want what we want, and we want it. We have got to die to so much as sinful human beings. And the only way to do it is to remember that God's God, we're not. His plan is better. I don't know if you have to write that down on your arm, on your kid's forehead. Whatever it takes, write it on the fridge, say it before every bite. God is God. I'm not. His plan is better. Back to the text. Joshua chapter 6, verse 6. So Joshua called together the priests and he said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant, assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Get ready. Then he gave the orders to the people, march around the town. The armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. The instructions that were received from the Lord to Joshua are clear. And I'm thankful for the example of Joshua 
that he stomachs, I, I don't know how big of an ulcer Joshua had as he approaches his leadership in this moment and delivers these same instructions. Again, imagine this. We read it. We overlook it so often. I do it every time I read this story. We just read the narrative and we get past it. But just for a second, imagine Joshua has received these bonkers directions from the Lord. And now he goes to his team who only know battle. And he says, I have a message from the Lord. We're going to walk around the city. We giggle, but I don't think we completely connect the dots here. And yet, these people are ready. As awkward as it is, they trust their leader Joshua. They are trusting in this season of their life as Israel. They are trusting God that if they follow through with these directions, God will give them the city of Jericho. Verse 8, after Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns start marching in the presence of the Lord blowing the horns as they marched, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the Ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Verse 10, Joshua says, Do not shout, don't even talk. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So the Ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Verse 12, Joshua gets up early again the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. I think it's worth noting Israel obeys. Joshua, here's the message from the Lord, delivers it to his team, his battle-ready officers, whatever the conglomerate is, and they take action. They follow through. They are taking to heart that God is God, that his plan is always better, and they are quite literally walking in faith. I want to get this again this morning. The action of Israel in this narrative is what is the repeat reminder for you and for me. Faith leads to action. Faith leads to action. The action of the Israelites continues here in verse 15. On the seventh day, Scripture says, the Israelites got up at dawn, they marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around the town seven times as instructed. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town! Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her household will be spared, for she protected our spies. Verse 18, don't take anything set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred 
to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, God answered prayer. The walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. It's not a pretty picture. But the Israelites trusted in God, stepping out in faith, and God comes through, what do you know, in a huge way. To get a chance, it's fascinating to watch documentaries on the archaeological discoveries of the city of Jericho and how they line up with God's word. In God's word, the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. Back to the lyrics of the song I sang as a kid, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I beg to differ. God fought the battle of Jericho. We need to clarify something, I think, as Christians today. There's a difference between having faith and walking in faith. There's a difference it's uncomfortable to talk about between being a Christian, calling oneself a Christian, and walking in step with the Lord. You know, in our family, we... (laughs) If you've spent any time with us, you know that my kids know more... Uh, YouTube channels than they do television channels. It's weird. Agreed. We watch a lot of YouTube as our, our, our family. We don't have cable TV. We don't have local channels. We watch a lot of YouTube. We learn a lot of stuff, a lot of knowledge from the comfort of our couch. We learn a lot of things. We learn a lot of how things work and how to make your own things and how to do certain hobbies. And we have learned a lot of knowledge. But do you realize when we take in knowledge, if we don't put that knowledge to action, how many of you guys, here and now, unless you're a math teacher, can figure out the area of a triangle? We had to put that knowledge to work at one time in our life, right? And we haven't had to since. So where does that information go? Where it belongs. In the garbage. No, it's not the garbage. (laughs) Same thing with YouTube. When we uh, learn things on, on our TV or on our computer, we're learning different hobbies. We've been spending a lot of time. We spent a lot of time in the last few years watching a lot of people do metal detecting. They're treasure hunters. And very recently, we started watching some people who are doing some, some stupid cool hobby called coin roll hunting. They, they go to the bank and buy coins in rolls, and then they search through it. What a time waster. We have had so much fun with both of those things. We learned a lot about the hobby. We learned a lot about those things, and we kind of had conversations. We're like, that'd be fun to try. And so we bought a metal detector, and we found the Ark of the Covenant in the back of our... (laughs) We found like a couple matchbox cars and a quarter, okay? And it's so much fun. 
Uh, a couple weeks ago, Ezra and I were going through rolls of nickels bought at our local CNB bank. We found a buffalo nickel. So cool. It's older than all of you. Most of you. <laughs> the knowledge that we've been taking in from people who know more than us. Once we put it to practice, it's a whole new level of understanding. It's a whole new level of excitement. God's word, again, hear me clearly, is not meant for us to simply say, good story. The same is true on a Sunday afternoon. Please allow me to say it this way. After service, when we come through the line and we're shaking hands and you're like, oh, great, great message, pastor. Like, Two of you have said that in the last five years. <laughs> I, I, I get a little like, oh, I, hope, I hope good message, Pastor, means, because I think we're human and we say these kinds of things, I hope it means I, I got to do some work today. I got I to gotta do some work this week. I got to put my faith to action this week. I got to... I got to live this stuff out. I got to right some wrongs. I'm convicted, Pastor. <laughs> Good message, Pastor, sounds a lot better than, oh, you're a jerk. <laughs> that hurt. If our faith, if what we understand, if what we know as Christian men and women, boys and girls, only stays in a knowledge-based reality, we have missed the mark. We've got to put it to action. James chapter 2. You've heard it a hundred times if you've grown up in the church. Verse 14, what good is it? Brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your action, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, action, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may very well argue, verse 18, some people have faith and others do the good deeds. James writes, I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good action? I'll show you my faith by my actions. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Amen? Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham, just a couple weeks ago, was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see his faith, his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete, and so it happened. Just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. Verse 24. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do. Not simply by what we know. Knowledge leads to faith. Faith to action. How do we learn 
actions in life. How do we learn to tie our shoes? How do we learn to walk? It takes practice. Amen? How do we best practice? How many of you have a, a great workout regimen that you do on your own? Out. Do you understand the benefit as you look around a room like this that you are on a team? Yeah, our team, we call ourselves the Hyde Wesleyan Church. Can you think about it for just a second this way? This team, this local church team, this team, a part of the local churches of Clearfield community, this church team that we are part of as a part of the larger team of the body of Christ, we are to put our faith to practice together in team often every day. We are to come alongside each other and encourage and admonish one another to lift each other up and to say, good job when we do it right and I've been there when we do it wrong. The benefit of being a part of the body of Christ is being on a team that practices its faith together. So remember, teammate, God's God, you're not. His plan is always better. So, take action. At the risk of being sued, just do it. What might God be asking of you? What might be that step of faith that he's asked for you to do, whatever it is, acknowledge that he's God, that he's got a plan, and that you want to know it. And step out trusting him fully and watch the walls begin to tumble. Watch the pieces fall into place. Watch God be God. Watch, confirm, know, taste, and see that the Lord is good See that his plan for your life, for your family's life, is so much better. It's so much more complete. He is God. Will you stand with me? Again, as your pastor, one of the things I love most is having the bird's eye view to how God is working in hearts and lives. How God is testing, transforming lives. Just this week I got a text from someone who's submitting an application to a new job, trusting God. Had a conversation in the hospital this week with someone who trusted that God was leading them to pray with complete strangers in the hospital, and God did a work in that. I love it. We need to do it more. We need to trust him fully, for he is God. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for this passage of scripture and this reminder, these ancient truths of history, and yet these timeless realities of application for here today now for our lives. Lord, however it is you are convicting, I just pray that you would do it more and more. I pray that you would help us as your followers to be uncomfortable with the status quo, but rather to surrender again 
to acknowledge you as Savior, we thank you for saving us. And to acknowledge you as Lord. And in doing so, to surrender everything we have, our plans, our desires, our understanding of what it is we want out of this life, I pray, God, that right here, right now, as we surrender to your Lordship again, that you would come through loud and clear with your plan, your desire, in the small ways and in the huge ways, that we may be found faithful and walking in faith, taking action, because you are leading. And we'll give you all the praise. And Lord, we pray all of this and your added blessing to the day in the powerful, matchless name of Jesus and God's people said together. And instead of just saying amen, let's shout like the children of Israel did for Jericho. But if the walls come tumbling down, it's, it's on you. Shout amen with me. One, two, three. Amen. God bless you.